Well, good morning again. As Stephen has already said, we are believing that God uh, ordained this day for us to be here. We had all had other plans, the pastor and Stephen and I, uh, but they weren't God's plans, but this is God's plan. Amen. So uh, we are confident that everyone here is here by divine appointment. God wanted you here this day as opposed to uh, some other day in other months that were programmed but never occurred. So it's nice to know that God does all things well and we can be satisfied with that and glad about that. We are happy to be back here. I, my wife and I, Karen, she sends her greetings, by the way. We are uh, we're so full of good memories from the last time we were here and Thank you for all your hospitality, and uh, we've not forgotten to pray for this work, so we do pray for you uh, on a regular basis. And if you think of Bob Jones University, please pray for it also. Uh, The work of God uh, can be accomplished uh, apart from the power of the throne of God, and we must appeal to God in dependence for anything good that can happen in his work. Because he does the work, we just are the mouthpieces. But it's all about him and his power. Well, you just heard the Psalm 77 read. Please keep it open, because we're going to be spending time there. Uh, I assume that most of you probably know... Uh, who the writer is, you know about Asaph, but let me refresh your memory because there are so many of those Old Testament names that are so easily forgotten. Asaph was the chief musician during the time David was king. He wrote many of the Psalms, you will see at the headline of each Psalm who the writer was, if it is known who the writer was, and his name is ascribed to many of them. A godly man, a Levite, a priest, and uh, he wrote many compositions, and he was an accomplished musician. He led the choirs and the orchestra at the festivals when the Jews would come to Jerusalem, and he would write for the temple worship. Uh, He was a man who walked with God and knew how to praise God with music. What a wonderful gift that is. I wish I had that gift. Uh, But something had happened to Asaph when we come to this psalm. We don't know what it was. But he was in the slew of despond. Uh, His chin was on the floor. Face to the ground. Confused. Confused. Uh, if he were any lower, he would have had to dig a pit to get in it. And maybe he was even in a pit that he had dug dug for himself. I don't know, but he, he was really low. As you've already observed, as you followed the reading this morning. And so, what did he do? He cried out to God, which is what we all must do. What else can we do? When the bottom has fallen out of our life. At this point, we don't know what happened to him. 
as I meditated on this, I wondered, I can't prove this. Sometimes the devil does his worst work on us after we've been on the highest mountain of blessing. We've just felt like we were with the apostles and uh, Moses and Elijah up there on the mountain with God in his glory. And then it's not but a short step down to the pit of discouragement. It's a strange thing. Maybe he had written some great composition. and Maybe when it's got through this festival and this singing and this praising of God, he might have said to himself, you know, that's the best, best thing I ever did. But for some reason, maybe he thought it didn't get the praise he thought it deserved. Uh, or, or maybe in the midst of trying to do something great for God, the musicians hit all the wrong notes and it was very embarrassing. I don't know. But suddenly he was on the wrong side of God. And all of us at some time or other find ourselves there. I'm preaching this message in a kind of a companion with my son. Uh, you, you, you've heard this powerful message of, of uh, total human impossibility. Life just is completely turned upside down. Some of your lives may be turned upside down today. Your marriages may be upside down. And only you and your wife know. Maybe your kids even. You may have lost your jobs. I, I, I don't know. And there's all kinds of things that can turn us from a mountaintop where we feel God is really near to where everything goes cold. And we're off on a side rail somewhere. Did you ever go drive through a town maybe you weren't familiar with? You happen to drive by a railroad yard. I found that many times when I see something like that that I don't normally see in my daily life, I pat, and there's always a car or two off on a side rail. They look like uh, they, they came uh, from uh, the Old Testament. They're dilapidated. The wheels are rusted. The the whole thing just kind of makes you shiver. Like the the grass is growing up. The weeds all around the, the tracks and under the cars. You know how many years have they been sitting there unattended to? And you drive by and you think, you know, those cars, that car right there at one time or another was a very useful vehicle. Think of all the goods it brought to the stores and the food that people were able to from because that car brought it to them. Think about the armaments that were delivered from the manufacturer to the front lines that uh, saved the lives of our soldiers and who were fighting for our country's freedom. Uh, think of the medicines those cars brought to doctor's offices that have helped so many people. Those cars were helpful and good. And now they just sit there completely worthless. Somebody could have at least done those cars the dignity of taking them off to a junkie where they could be recycled. But there they are. Asif is kind of that car. He's off on a sidetrack. A man greatly used of God, but he's on a sidetrack. 
And he finds himself there and there's nothing he can do but shout out to God. These words are strong words. I cried unto God with my voice, even the God with my voice. And he gave ear unto me in the day of trouble I sought the Lord. He said, I know God heard me. He gave ear to me. He heard me. But he hadn't done anything about it. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran sore. My ran in the night. It ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained in my spirit was overwhelmed. Think about that. There's no doubt about the deplorable state of this man's spiritual life at this moment. When he wrote this song. Nobody's walk with God is completely happy all the time. And when things aren't as we think they ought to be for a man or woman of God who has tried to stay right with God and stayed in the word and stayed in prayer and all of a sudden life turns completely sour and God seems so far from you You begin to doubt your salvation, for one thing. You begin to doubt the even existence of God. I I mean, this is almost like the talk of a man who never knew the Lord, ever. But we know he did. He sought the Lord day and night, and his soul refused to be comforted. May I share with you just a quick... I know what he's talking about. I've been there. My wife didn't know it. I was too ashamed to confide in her that I was in such a state. My father and mother never knew it. I was just recently married at the time in my early 20s. I was reading something. I don't know what I was reading. And all of a sudden, a blasphemous thought about God was forced into my mind. That's the only way I know to describe it. My insides turned to jelly and all I could do was cry and say, God, you know I don't think that about you. You know I don't. That thought didn't come from me. But it was almost so powerful upon my head, it was like it just something jammed it into my mind. I cried out for forgiveness. I cried out for, for mercy and pardon. And I went to the scriptures and the scriptures which should have normally given me comfort Somehow the devil turned those against God. And for three years, three years, I was in blackness. I continued to preach. I continued to do my work for God that he'd given me to do. But God seemed completely oblivious to my cry. These could have been my very words that Asaph was speaking. I know how he felt. I sought the Lord day and night, but he didn't seem to care. The more I sought him, the more troubled I was. All I could do is this. And I said to this him, said, Lord, you know I love you. I know you love me. I'm in a condition I can't extricate, from which I cannot extricate myself. 
you're going to have to do this. And I plead you to do this. I can't continue to live like this, feeling so estranged from you. Three years. Similar prayer to that. Day and night. Couldn't sleep much at night. Didn't have the desire to even wake up and go on with the day. And I just said, God, I'm not going to turn loose of you. Please don't turn loose of me. That was my specific prayer. One day, I was reading something else. Don't even know whether it was the Bible or some book. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, it was like God said to the devil, leave him alone, he's had enough. I'm telling you, as forcefully as that was to begin with, it was forcefully removed. That's all I can tell you. It was no longer black midnight, it was blue sky. And it's been wonderful. Nothing like that's ever happened to me since. But I'm very sympathetic to Asaph. It would be easy to criticize. Say, well, what's the matter with you, Asaph? You know who God is. You've served God all your life. Just get over it and, you know, let's go on. It's not that easy. There's a real devil that's loose in the world. And he preys upon the people of God. And it seems sometimes like those who know the most of heaven are decreed to know the most of hell. As a result of that thing that I described to you, I would have to say, and I just, just, I don't think I can prove this from the Bible, but I've wondered, before God can use anybody as His servant, that servant has to be tested in some way to know that the God they serve is a real God. He's a powerful God. I came to Christ when I was 13 years old. Grew up in a preacher's home. Godly mother and father. Knew the Bible. Got saved at 13 as I said. Started preaching the Bible. The power of the new birth. The power of the resurrection. The power of the gospel. So on and so on. I, I preached it because the Bible teaches it. And I believed it. I knew I was saved. But when you get saved early in life, as I did, your life has not been deep within the grip of the power of sin. You're just as big a sinner. God's grace is just as necessary for you as it is to somebody saved out of a drunkard's ditch. Okay? But the devastating work of sin has not had enough time yet in your life to put you in the depths of sin. As I've looked back, I've thought, you know, Lord, maybe you had me go through that because if I'm going to preach that you have power to save sinners, you have a power to resurrect your saints from the grave, all powers given unto you in heaven and in earth, as the Bible says, maybe I had to experience that delivering power of God from those dark days in Satan's grip when my mind was so confused and distraught.
You know, if a man or woman gets saved in midlife out of drugs and pornography and drink and all the things that sin does to wreck and to ruin a life, then he gets saved, she gets saved, all of a sudden she knows or he knows he's been delivered of God. So maybe that's why God allows some who are younger and growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ to go through these testing times so they can preach with authenticity and certainty the truths that they believe in the Bible. They've seen them at work in their life. So here's this man, knowledgeable of God, loving God, serving God, and he's in deep trouble and he seeks the Lord day and night. He can't sleep. His soul refused to be comforted. And then he says in verse 3, I remembered God and I was troubled. That's a strange statement. That should have ended ended the discussion. But even as this worked in my life, it, it got worse. The devil turns these things against God. I complained. My spirit was overwhelmed. You held my eyes waking. I'm so troubled I cannot speak. He said, God, you're to blame for my inability to sleep. (laughs) So he goes from uh, crying out to God to blaming God with his cry. I don't know what you're going through right now any more than I know what Asaph was going through. But I do know that this psalm is for any of us who are going through deep times of discouragement, defeat, and despair. I don't know what your soul may be troubled about right now. Maybe you are having a hard time with because you constantly have before your eyes and your mind memories of what your life was like, the troubles you created for yourself through bad choices you made before you got saved or even after you got saved. You had to reap what you sowed. And God has saved you and delivered you and made you his child. Put you on the road to heaven, but those thoughts come back to you and haunt you. Maybe you're suffering the kind of things that Asaph was was going through because of the trouble others are going through. Uh, Your family is growing through. I remember a little boy came up to me after I was preaching in South Florida a while back. Put his arms around my legs. He's probably five years old. And he said, Mr. He said, why did God let my father abandon our family? This sweet little boy. He was just devastated. He loved his daddy. And his daddy walked out. And his soul at five years old was very troubled devastatingly troubled maybe you're living in some mystery world related to God right now God why would you let financial troubles to this magnitude come upon me what did I do to deserve this maybe you've been persecuted at work your boss is unsympathetic to your Christian testimony and is unhappy to have you in the workplace 
my, my oldest grandson pastors in Iowa and the church he took was formerly pastored by a man of 25 years who was pastor and one day a man in the congregation on Wednesday night stood up and called his pastor a heretic. You're preaching error to us. And incessantly, week after week, he would stand up and rebuke the pastor. Now there were three teachers at a nearby Bible college who were members, Bible teachers who were in that church. Six retired pastors in that church. And they came to the pastor and said, Pastor, you're not a heretic. You are preaching the truth. But it so devastated this man. He was so defeated by those attacks, those unjust attacks. He couldn't get over it. He walked out of the church. He's, he's never been in the ministry since for the last six or eight years since that happened. He just can't get his feet under him again. His soul was too deeply troubled. Maybe yours is some emotional issue, some depression. You have bouts with sadness. It just won't go away. Maybe you've been the victim of slander and false accusations as this pastor was. Maybe your trouble, your sorrow of soul is the result of being treated badly. Uh, you, you have reacted badly in response to those who've acted badly toward you. You're full of spite. I want to get even with somebody and your soul is just eaten up with bitterness and a sense of revenge. Maybe you have serious disagreement with God because He's not responding to you as you think He should. You're at variance perhaps with Him over how He is governing His universe. (laughs) Think of that. Or maybe how governing your universe. Some spiritual warfare is taking place. You're wrestling with God. And so you continue to cry out to God. But some of that prayer is an accusatory prayer. And the more you pray about it with that kind of attitude, the the worse it gets, the farther God seems to from you. Look in verse 5. He cried out, I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. What is he talking about? I can remember those former days long ago in my life, God, when I would pray to you and you would just draw near to me. And you'd console my soul. And we walk together in great joy and harmony. Why can't it be like that now? You seem to take an active role in my life, Lord. Now you're far away. Verse 6, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I used to be able to sing praises in the night. I'd wake up and just praise you, Lord. My, My musical soul just burst out into song. I commune with my own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Lord, there was communion between us and some of it was melodic. But he said now in verse 7, Will the Lord cast me off forever? Will he be favorable no longer? God, you used to be kind to me, but now it seems like you've rejected me. Verse 8, 
Is God's mercy completely gone forever? Does His promise fail forevermore? Lord, your promises no longer satisfy me or seem to apply to me. Am I going to have to spend the rest of my life like this? And then this puts the capstone on it. God, have you forgotten to be gracious? Have you in anger shut up your tender mercies? That's powerful. That's overwhelming. Here's a useful servant of God and now he's on a a railing somewhere. Seems like he's completely useless. Completely worthless. It's going to be that way forever. But it all changes in verse 10. And I said, this is my infirmity. This is my diseased mind. This is my confused soul. God, I am not thinking straight. What's the matter with me? It wasn't the matter of God. It was something wrong with him. His soul had withered. And he said, I shouldn't be talking like this, Lord. I'm sorry. I would remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. He said, God, my solution for this disease is in the consolation that comes when I can get a grip on you and your providence your power and how through history you have shown yourself faithful to your people he's speaking now from a Jewish perspective and then from verse 13, 14 all the way to the end what he focuses upon the great works of God is basically deliverance of Israel from the captivity of Egypt for 400 years God set them free and made a nation of them on the other side of the Red Sea. And you'll find that theme for the Jewish people all through the Old Testament. When they talk about God's wonders and God's greatness, somewhere in that is usually, among other things, but always consists of some reference to the deliverance from Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea and that miraculous thing God did. God, if you can do that... You can do anything. Somebody said, Asaph became reconciled to the cup God had given him to drink, and he no longer rebelled against it. That's a great statement. Spurgeon said about Asaph here, "'Tis well." When the consideration of the divine goodness and greatness silences all complaining and creates a childlike acquiescence, agreement. God.
Why has God given us this wonderful book we call the Bible? So full of instruction about who he is and what he has done. You see, my friend, if you and I look forward through the windshield of our car, we might see a gathering storm. Lightning bolts, trees going across the road, it looks horrific, and it's frightening ahead. But we look at the rearview mirror, and we see the storm is not back there. God has given us this book as a rearview mirror where we can look back and see what God has done throughout scriptural history, secular history. God has never been without His work being accomplished at any given time. We can't always see what God is doing. What was God doing when that maverick uh, leader of 45,000 revolutionary soldiers uh, decided to invade Russia this week? My first thought was, God, what are you doing? This is exciting. Something's going on. It's all about getting us ready for the end times. Okay? You know, look back and see all the wonders of God. And sometimes you don't have to look farther back than last week. And recognize something's happening here. Nobody could have predicted this. There was never any foreshadowing of this in any of the newscasts. It just went boom, there it was on a given day. Everybody said, who is this guy? What's he up to? And wonder what's going to happen. And wouldn't it be wonderful if he got to Putin and all that stuff, you know? And, well, we don't know what God's doing. But he's always at work in his world. And we may not know what he's doing in our life any more than Asaph did, but he's always at work. And he's given us his word so we can look back at what he's done in the past. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes. He's the unchanging God. And if he has taken care of his people through impossibilities in the past and brought them to where they are today, he can do the same. Amen. He's at work. Let him be God. Look, look what he said. I remembered the supernatural wonders. Verse 11 and verse 14. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember the wonders of old. Verse 14. Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Lord, this is who you are. This is who you are historically. And as you work in your world. God, I can see these things. I know your power. This is what you have done. And so he said in verse 12, I will meditate in all thy work. I will look at your supernatural wonders. And I will talk of your doings. Lord, I will remember your supernatural wonders and I will tell people about them. There's a key. I'll speak publicly, Lord, for you. I want everybody to know what kind of a God you are. I'm going to tell them there's no God like you. You're the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the King of kings. They don't know anything about that. But I do. And I'm going to tell people. 
That's the normal response for those who know God and who know He's really at work in your life. He's trustworthy. He's proven Himself. You've seen Him at work in the life of your family, in the work of your life of your friends. You've seen Him at work in current history and old history. You've seen that His footprints were with the people of Israel when they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, but they couldn't see his footprints. (laughs) Look at verse 19. Thy way is in the sea. He's speaking now about their deliverance. And and in the path of great waters. Thy footprints are not known, but they're there. It's called walking by faith. Believing God, you can't see him. Job, in the 42nd chapter of Job, when he came out the other side of the testing, when God said to Satan, leave him alone, he's had enough. Job said, Lord, in the past I've heard of you with the hearing of my ear. And we know from the Bible that there was no man that loved God like he did in the earth. That's why Satan wanted to sift him and test him try to find some fault in him that he could accuse God of, that Satan could accuse God of. He came out of that and he said, Lord, my life with you was a wonderful life before you took everything I had. Now you've given me twice everything I had. So much more. I heard of you with the hearing of my ear and I loved you. But now, after this testing, I've seen you with the seeing of my eyes. But sometimes God wants us to believe him without being able to see him with our human eyes. But to know of him through the hearing of his word. He said to Thomas. Thomas, these friends of yours, these other disciples... They believed me. And you refused to believe me until you could touch me and see me. Sometimes God allows us to almost touch him. And see him with our eye. Sometimes he wants us to hear him. And believe him because he said so. That's what the Bible is all about. And then in closing, look at that last verse. God, you led your people like a flock, that is, through the Red Sea and across the wilderness. You led thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What did he say in that verse? He said, God you for the pastors of your flock God raises up men like your pastor and other good strong Bible believing men to lead people in the way that God is going he ended up with great thanksgiving to God at the end of all of his trouble when he came out the other side it's a note of thanksgiving thanksgiving 
the people you give to lead your flock, even as you did Moses and Aaron. You were the smiter of Egypt, God, but now you are the shepherd of Israel. Yes. Wow. So, thank God that He's given you who's tested and tried. Who lives in pain? <clears throat> As many of you live in pain. When he tells you of the greatness and goodness of God, even as you heard from my son, when they tell you of the greatness and goodness of God, it's because he's real. They've seen it. They've experienced it. They believe it, but they also have experienced it. People that haven't experienced it, many of you are younger, you have not been through the kind of trials that come with living long enough in a sin-cursed world. And many people live their whole lives without severe testing. Love God and Desire to tell others of God. But you have a shepherd who leads you through the trials where God manifests himself. And so he authentically preaches to you the goodness of God in times of testing. My friends, so much is happening right now in this world beyond our comprehension that troubles us greatly about our country. Our increasing loss of freedom, religious freedom. The encroaching of perversity from every side of society. And we're tempted to say, like Asa, well, where are you, God? You know, there's so many in this world from the White House on down are shaking their fist in the face of God. God, I'm not going to let you tell me you need me and that I'm obligated to you in any way. God, I'm not going to let you tell me that I can't kill babies if I want to kill my baby. God, I'm not going to let you tell me that I'm a man when I really want to be a woman. I'm not going to let you tell me this. I'm going to, I'm going to take control, God. What the heaven, the Bible says, God holds them in derision in heaven. They are no threat to God. Their arm is too short to box with God. They can't do it. But you know, God's merciful. He would still like to save people. He died for their sins too, just like yours and mine. Why does his wrath not come against the infidels of today? Just right now, God zapped them. Because that's not the kind of God he is. His mercies are new every morning. His love is extended. He pleads with his people. You read through history, they would go in idolatry and he would plead and plead and plead with them to come back to him. Now there came judgment. 
when they would not. But He's merciful because He wants to save them. They could repent and come to Him too. You may wonder if you have a God that's big enough to deliver you from whatever perplexities and despond and and trouble and doubts that you're going through right now in life. But if your God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if He's the God of Calvary, the God who can deliver sinners from our sin nature and give us His righteousness and reconcile us to our Savior, to Himself, if He's the God of the church, if He's the God who, will, who has risen from the grave, if He's the God who will come again for His people and raise them from the corruption of death and to the newness of life and the likeness of Christ, if He's, God, if he's the God who's going to make this world over again, yes. world without end, He can surely deliver you from your troubles. Why don't you let him do it? I pray that whatever it is you're struggling with God about today and it just seems like he's withdrawn himself from your heart. And you know of no unconfessed sin and you, you don't like it to be the way it is. And you Look, he's the God alone who can raise you from the grip of dusty death one day, do not think he's the God who can release you from the grip of your doubting despond that is upon you right now? Let him be God. He's proven himself almighty God. And he continues to do that in the world. Those sinners like us can't always see what he's doing until after the fact. He's going to keep all of these promises. And the last enemy that's going to be destroyed is death. And with the resurrection of his son, you know what he can do when death comes. There's life to come. Or there'll be no more death. We won't have to wrestle with these things anymore. The purpose of my preaching this message is that when whatever it is you're going through is all over, you'll come out just as confident in God, assured of His promises and His love for you and His power. Amen as Asaph was when he came out of his struggles. Father, let your word do us good. In Christ's name I pray, amen.